This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey guys, and welcome to Personality Bingo with me, your host, Tom Warren. So this week on the podcast, we have Holly Shorthall. Holly does loads of things. Holly works in marketing. She works for charities. Um, she's big on social media. You can get her on all her bits at uh, Holly Shorthall uh, and as well on Instagram at Holly underscore, underscore Shorthall. Um, we have a, a lovely chat and uh, a particularly big shout out to uh, a wonderful producer, Erin Lindsay, this week. It's so funny because she's listening to this now. I hope you're smiling, Erin, because uh, you deserve it. Because thanks for setting this one up because it was a lovely chat and um, couldn't have done it without you, as always, uh, really. Uh, in other news, um, obviously we'll have podcasts coming to you right through the summer. Uh, I'm flat out with rehearsals for Copperface Jacks, the musical. Um, we're having great fun with it. It's coming to the Olympia Theatre for all of July and uh, until the middle of August. It's going to be great crack. We're doing like six weeks of it and um, then four weeks rehearsal, which we just started this week. So it's all go um, for me, but in a really lovely way. Uh, the cast is um, just full of superstars. It's a great team and it's uh, written by the brilliant Paul Howard, who you know from the Russell Carroll Kelly um, books. And we're hopefully going to get a few of the cast and crew on, like Michelle McGrath and Carl Harper and, you know, maybe a couple of others um, because uh, it's a great gang and I think uh, they'd all be great on this. So we'll hopefully do a little bit of... Um, cross-pollination uh, between the two projects but uh, book your tickets now um, at the Olympia at Ticketmaster um, come and book tickets to see uh, me uh, playing a member of the Dublin senior football team and a guard in Copperface Jackson musical it's gonna be a great time um, but yeah before all of that please enjoy the wonderful Holly Shorthall playing personality bingo with Tom Moore. Holly Shorthall, ready to play Personality Bingo? I think so. All right, amazing. <laughs> Let's do it. So I'll give you a quick explainer of how it all works first. So there's going to be, uh, there's 60 balls in here. Got 60 questions on this sheet and I'm going to put 60 minutes on the clock. I've also given you five numbers on that sheet of paper there. Would you do me a favour and read out the five? Yeah, 12, yeah. 37, okay. 40, right. 14 yeah. and 58. Amazing. And would you do me a favour and pick a sixth number, something that's not there between one and 60? Okay. Let me know what you go for. 25. 25. Any reason? It's the age I wish I still was. Okay. <laughs> right. I just turned 25. Oh. And, and like, I don't know, because you have that tendency to want to call it a quarter life crisis. And you're like, well, that's being a bit arrogant because that implies I'm going to live to 100. True. You know? Yes. Well, I'm 30 in less than a year, so I will be heading into a thrysis. Right. Which is you're heading into your 30s crisis. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Apparently 29 is a tough age because you're just on the cusp of being 30. Like you'd nearly rather just be 30. It's essentially just looming from the day you turn 29. You're just like, okay, great. 364 years until I'm 30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But also there's... It's all subjective, isn't it? Like there's people who who will be older than us going, oh, for God's sake, like they're only babies. 100%. So, I know. You know, we're still here. don't live to be 30. Exactly. You know, it is. It's kind of bonkers. Um, but I should say, look, we're already getting into a good podcast. <laughs> uh, but I should say that uh, if all six of the numbers do come up, that means the tables are turned and you get to ask me any question in the whole wide world. Okay. Sweet. All right. Will we give it a spin? Let's go. All right. No, it needs to be warmed up. <laughs> Here we go. First out the gate, we have number 58. Do you have it? Yes. <laughs> oh my God, what a start. Almost Amazing. unprecedented. Amazing. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, oh, we're getting right in there. If you were to have a child, would you bring them up with religion? In a word, no. Really? <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay. No, I don't think so. Um, I'm not religious myself. My partner's not religious at all. Um, and I just think there's kind of far more important, I suppose, belief systems that you could impart on a child that aren't really anything to do with religion. Mm. So, no. <laughs> yeah. Were you brought up with it? 
No, not really. Like we would have gone to mass maybe on Christmas Day and I was definitely baptised and I made my communion and my confirmation. But I think as soon as I made my confirmation, got my cash, (laughs) spent it, I was like, I think I'm done here. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's a good way to go out. Yeah, I think, you know what, maybe if they, you know, if there was another ceremony, maybe when you were 15 or 16 Mm. that involved getting a couple of hundred quid people might stay on yes yeah. <laughs> and I mean like because recently obviously the it wasn't it's like now in place that kids like school admittance isn't connected to whether you've been like baptized or christened or whatever I know like how crazy is that that in 2018 that's only kind of coming up in conversation now yeah um yeah like that needs to be abolished immediately especially when you consider there's you know half a million people living here who are Mm -hmm. non-nationals according to the last census anyway who potentially don't identify as as Catholics uh, alongside all of the other people in the country who are Irish Irish, who don't identify as Catholic it's crazy. Yeah like it's amazing when you think about it because obviously you know with the um, repeal the 8th like um, referendum that like obviously overwhelmingly passed so recently like that swing of power is just crazy what's happened in this country. Yeah, it is. It's it's it was amazing to see actually um, in the referendum. I don't think anyone could have kind of on either side uh, foreseen that kind of landslide. And I know some people will say oh, it wasn't a landslide, but two to one like that's yeah. When you think about the divorce referendum, which was like 20 odd years ago and it was won by like 0.5 percent or something of a vote, uh, you know, I think it, we've come a really, really long way. So I certainly wouldn't be raising my children to go back into that kind of life at all no yeah 100% because I know your Twitter bio at the moment is part of the 66.4 which is actually really lovely was there ever a fear for you throughout the campaign where you thought that your yes vote was going to be in the minority um I think when you like me when you spend so much time on Twitter um you're kind of in this bubble of where you know 90% of the people that you are it's like an echo chamber nearly are kind of surrounded um by for me anyway we're all pretty much voting yes and then it just seemed like there was a few crazy you know fake accounts and you know different people from different religious organisations and kind of otherwise who were on the other side but I suppose you just have to be always aware that social media is not real life so that was always in the back of my head like okay everyone I know is voting yes but also there was other people quite close to me who were not voting yes. So mm. that was always in my mind. And what was your tactics or relationship or how did all those things kind of um, flow over the course of the relationship with the people who you know were on the other side? Um, I think when it's like people who you don't really have a choice to ever um, not be part of their lives, you know, you kind of just have to suck it up. And I think as well, there was probably an element of everybody just thinking that anyone who was voting no was kind of crazy. And I know I said it a minute ago, but, you know, on social media, but there's, you know, plenty of completely normal and sane people who voted no, you know, for their, their own reasons. And I think that's probably important in hindsight to kind of look, see now, you know, that we've won and we can all kind of take a step back because it was, it was very all-consuming, I think, mm. especially the last couple of weeks, yeah. Yeah, it's really, do you know what, I, I was seeing this today, it's like, the thing that's made the good weather better is the fact that there's no posters. Like, you know, because the oh posters are, they're just like, especially, you know, I mean, the no posters, I think, were like that little bit more offensive. But then, you know, I'm sure people who were voting no found the yes posters offensive. You know, I think if people on the yes side who were part of the organisations who obviously um, fundraised and paid for uh, the funded the um, posters, I think if they had wanted to go down the same route, you know, they would have had really horrific pictures of maybe somebody who had just been raped or something you know what I mean I Mm. I remember reading that in a tweet and going like we're not doing that like we don't need to go to those extremes because you know it's just a fact that it's happening every day and like you don't have to highlight every crazy horrific circumstance because sometimes it is as simple as somebody getting pregnant who does not want to go ahead with the pregnancy and that needs to be respected totally and like far be it for someone like me to explain to someone like you why it went through but I would like propose that might be one of the reasons was that like I think you know with the say the John Waters interview towards the end and towards the TV interviews and like you know the Iona thing kind of falling apart and you kind of just seen well like there's not 
very many rational people making rational arguments on the other side. And I think, you know, because, you know, we everyone always said it was going to be about the undecided, you know, every election is about referendums about the yeah. undecideds. But I mean, that's going to swing undecided. It's like, well, you, you can't stand on your own two feet here. Absolutely. And like you said, the posters, like it was just outrageous. Um, A friend of mine, Steve, one of my good friends from, I have a few friends in Manchester, uh, was over here about a week and a half before the actual referendum, just for a day for work, like literally off the plane, drove into town, back to the airport. And like they've they've obviously just had Brexit like a couple of years ago. And like he said, he had never seen anything like the number of posters. Like there was some streets in this country where every single pole, you know, where lamppost or whatever had the same poster on it. You know, that really awful one licensed to kill. And it was like a kind of an ultrasound image. And it's I don't know, it was just so it's just really unnecessary, you know, crazy, crazy. Yeah. Thank God they're gone. Thank God they're gone. Right. Let's give them a spin. <laughs> OK. <laughs> All right, here we go. Next out the gate, we have number 31. Do you have it? I do not have 31. All right, no worries. Number 31. The question is, do you have a least favourite word? Oh, God, I do, yeah. What? Phlegm. Phlegm. Yeah. I've never got that before. Really? It's a good answer, though. Do you know what? It's it's just really, it's one of those words that for, for some people, it's completely normal that like you could just be out for lunch with somebody and be like, oh, how was your weekend? And you could be like eating a sandwich and next of all, they're like, oh, you know, I was really <sighs> phlegmy. And you're just like, oh my God, like sandwich no longer wanted. Um, yeah, it's just a really, it's and the way it's spelled and just phonetically, I just, it's a really, really, I just think it's grotesque. Yeah, the, the spelling is just passive aggressive, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's just unnecessary. Like it's so unnecessary, and I think one of the common themes of everyone, almost everyone's word that they pick, um, whenever that question comes up, it's always a word that's associated with like moisture or liquid or wetness. So true. Isn't that odd? Yes, yes, that's true. Because I would say moist would be a close second, and I would imagine it's one you've heard before. Everyone's answer. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm going to stick with phlegm. Yeah, moist phlegm. That's going to send you over the edge. Right. (laughs) I'm leaving. (laughs) Here we go. Number 60. Do you have it? No. No worries. Number 60. Uh, In terms... Oh, this is kind of an interesting one, what you do, because like we were talking off mic, you do loads of different things. But in in terms of like... uh, your creation and like artistic creation um, I don't even know if you consider what you do to be artistic creation but if you do what drives you to, to do the work that you do do money yeah <laughs> no, I'm only joking but money probably drives me to do anything that involves getting up in the morning getting dressed and getting out the doors you know money at the end of the day but yeah, yeah how, how important is money to you Um, like very yeah I mean anything fun that you can do or like any nights out that you have or anything you can treat yourself to like it does boil down to money um you know obviously money is not everything i mean yesterday we just saw one of the world's like most famous kind of fashion designers um kate spade i don't know if you heard Mm. multi-millionaire only 55 years of age killed herself in her apartment in new york so i suppose you know it's not that i think money is everything but like it does take a huge for me personally I, like I don't suffer from depression I presume that there was something along the lines with the, with that poor woman but um like it's not everything but it I mean if you want to get a bus like you need money you know totally. that kind of way so yeah and in like you know because you do so many things but like even like in the marketing that's like I guess for me as an actor that's kind of it, it's one of them weird industries because people the actors that people know are normally movie stars so they're like incredibly wealthy but like yeah. most actors are, are in the de- like the poorer demographic of like society just because of the well, it's not a thing that's like that respected within society sometimes yeah and, stuff. and it's not um it's not guaranteed work isn't it not like you know you could be working for three months and then like nothing for a year kind of thing but i have a full-time job now so and in marketing so um i love it but that's f- for me kind of nine to five that's what i do and then but again, like I, everyone works to live, don't they? Right. That's like, well, I presume most people do. Yeah. Yeah. You have a job like you do it so you can pay your bills and have a good time, I suppose. That's why I do it anyway. Totally. Yeah. No, it's really, it's really fascinating. And like, I saw like, and in terms of like more, I suppose, to the, like the day to day, like the creative elements of your marketing or whatever that might be, what is that side of it that kind of drives you to do it? Um, or is it purely like 
this is it's the best a, way to make my like, living. Yeah, it's a job and it's fun and it's creative and, you know, it involves, I suppose, different aspects of having to listen to people and to take on board what consumers are saying and what consumers want. And I suppose a lot of that comes from being on social media and kind of reading what people are into and seeing all the different trends and, and stuff like that and trying to, I suppose, you know, get, like get them into your, you know, whatever you're doing, I suppose. Yeah. And how much of what you do do you think can be like, a learning thing whether that's going and you know doing you know your degree in marketing or, or doing a master's or whatever that might be or how much of it is that you are that is like your talent well I didn't go to college right um I well I went to college for a year um to do fashion design which was something I kind of always wanted to do and within like about three weeks I was like oh my god like this is not what I thought it was going to be whatsoever and I think because I left college and went like straight into a full-time job so obviously when you're in college like you're not getting paid but you're I mean it was a nine to five Monday to Friday course and then suddenly I was in a job and I was getting paid like a full salary for us in my mind doing the same kind of amount of work so I think that's where I just kind of got into like wanting to earn money and just working kind of hard I like I really love working I love working hard so mm. yeah sweet yeah <laughs> Let's give it a spin. All right, here we go. Number, where are we? Number 56. <gasps> no, I don't have it. Okay, no worries. Number 56. The question is, what's the nicest thing someone has said about you? Nicest thing someone has said about me? Anything that sticks oh, out? Oh, yes, actually. This is actually a really cute story. Um, So I went uh, volunteering twice, uh, 2015, and then for Christmas 2015 kind of going into New Year's 2016 I went over to a refugee camp in you know the one in France Calais yeah just for like a week kind of each time and the second time I went over uh, I met this guy from Kuwait uh, who was like in his 40s had been there for like eight months and like this is like the depths of winter in France he was wearing like flip flops and was uh, was married and had two children who were um, at, at that time still in uh, Kuwait and he was trying to get to the UK like everybody there. And we kind of stayed in touch. He was very low, like when we met him. And it's just, it's such a hopeless situation, you know. And we kept in contact the whole time. And like long story short, um, I kind of helped his his family when they got to Greece. They were in like kind of an internment camp and then we're like in an apartment and they eventually got reunited, which was amazing. Like these, he hasn't got a word of English, so everything is like Google Translate, like all our WhatsApp conversations. But um, him and his family got reunited about eight months ago, and he texted me a couple of weeks ago to say that his wife was expecting, and he said that if it was a girl, they were going to call the baby Holly, oh. but it's a boy. So, <laughs> so not going to be Holly this time, but maybe next time. And I just thought, you know what? Like that's. I don't think anyone has ever like said anything to me that made like that was just so heartwarming totally yeah it's and amazing so what kind of things were you whatsapping back and forth uh well like just if he needed help I mean like one of the first uh conversations was he got to the UK actually you know this is a really funny story um he managed to get onto a truck about two or three weeks after uh I was there and like I'm completely aware of the fact that this is like a legal uh trafficking or whatever and I you know I'm not saying that that's the right thing to do or anything but obviously people are hopeless and desperate and but it turned out that the truck wasn't going to the UK it was actually going to Belgium which is like way further away so he ended up getting off this uh, truck and was just in the middle of nowhere and um, I don't know if you know but in Kuwait like homosexuality is illegal and it's as far as I'm aware it's like it's really bad it's punishable by you know a prison sentence and maybe worse and he had no experience whatsoever uh, whatsoever um of being around anybody from the lgbtqi community but he ended up getting uh, hitching a ride back from um from belgium back to the camp in calais by a lesbian couple and like i just remember him texting me and like it just completely opened his eyes even though he didn't understand what they were saying but just the way they were interacting with each other and how they were you know clearly a couple and in love and, and whatever and like his, he was just like Holly like I just can't believe this you know these women are amazing and they've dropped me back and, and whatever and then he got over to the UK eventually and he was like sending me pictures of his trousers and they were ripped and he had an interview so like, I'd send him a few bob to go to like pet Primark and get some trousers or whatever and 
then he got his first pay packet and he sent me this really nice handbag over here to say thank you, you know. Oh. And so it's just a, it's actually just a really nice you can go over to these places and think, I need to help every single person, but like if you just meet one person and you can just give them a bit of a, a dig out, I suppose, when when you can. There can be like a really nice story, like they're back together now and having another baby and you know, his kids are gonna grow up in a I suppose a hopefully a much nicer, you know, situation than they were previously in. So just different. I mean, the 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 stuff that goes on with deportations and stuff, it's it's pretty horrific. Like at the moment, he had to get a couple of hundred quid together, like out of nowhere um, to prove that his uh, wife and two children were his wife and two children. So he has to get like a DNA test and stuff like that. So, I mean, I don't know where they expect somebody who's an asylum seeker, you know, and doesn't speak English to get like five or six hundred quid together. But uh we were able to do a little whip round. So hopefully everything is okay. I mean, the kids are the image of them like this. <laughs> I don't even know why they have to go through with that or whatever, but they do. So, wow. yeah, just like a little back and forth. And he'd often get a form and he wouldn't understand what it would mean. So I would like help him kind of translate it and that. So Totally. And when you made the decision that you wanted to go to Calais for the week and to do your bit to help the people in, in those terrible situations, what was there a thing that made you want to do that? Yeah, you know, it was at the time I was completely working for myself, um, had been working in the fashion industry like for years at this stage. I was doing my illustrations. I was working for a newspaper and I just kind of, I suppose, had the free time that maybe somebody who was, you know, had a mortgage or kids or full time job wouldn't have had. And there was that really famous um image of that little boy who'd like washed up on the beach I think in like Turkey or I think it was and it just really struck me and and um yeah I just kind of said okay you know this is like these people are in France like this is not like I don't have to go to Syria like to help these people they're like and two hour flight away I mean it's crazy that it's happening anywhere in the world let alone Europe but uh yeah so I just ended up going from kind of collecting donations and stuff to send over to meeting a group convoy um it's amazing women Tracy and Elaine from Cork and Tipperary who are like best friends who arranged a convoy of like 52 complete strangers to go over and I think because I was working you know had that kind of social media background and I was working for the paper I got put onto the communications team so we got to like just walk around and meet people and interview people and hear their stories and kind of translate them and do press releases and like the stuff we saw was just unbelievable like the first day we were there the guys got footage of um the police like just pepper spraying women and children out the like out their van like just driving past these women and children just pepper spraying them like what? we got that on camera like I I, I don't know they they just look at these like really you know unfortunate people like the vermin like that's just the way the police over there look I look at them yeah it's really sad wow is yeah. it cliche or true to say it's something that changed your life in the way oh you my the god world? absolutely like completely like I came home and I was like that's it I was like you know I was obsessed with like the Kardashians and you know all celebrities and drawn celebrities and writing about celebrities and stuff and I just came back and I was like what have I been doing like for the last not that there's anything wrong with that and I'm still obsessed with celebrities and I'll still be tweeting about the Kardashians but I just needed to do a little bit more I think for sure yeah totally. so it was no absolutely like totally life changing yeah right. sweet okay let's give it a spin <laughs> alright here we go uh, number 12 do you have it yes oh, you're doing really well I know <laughs> <laughs> this is great so exciting alright two in, in pretty good time that's two out of five well done you alright number 12 do you ever wish you were born as the opposite gender I do you know what I definitely have done at times but I think if it was to come down to it I would say no mm. um, like I've definitely you know thought that certain aspects of life would be easier if I was a man mm -hmm. you know for example like walking down the street right or you know t taking a shortcut home or walking home from a club or you know anything like that would probably be uh, a lot easier if I if I was a man um, than it is as, as a woman but I think I do like being a woman at the end of the day yeah how much of a like day-to-day minute-to-minute kind of hour to hour fear is it of like because all the things you listed to me correct me if I'm wrong sounded like they were in the realm of like you know physically being afraid yeah is that fair to like how how present a thing is that for you as a woman today like I would say like very much so mm. um 
you know, like there's certain areas where I live. I live in the centre of town and um, like there is a lot of drug use and, and there is a lot of uh, people that live uh, or congregating, hanging around there. I don't know if they live there, um, you know, with different substance abuse issues. And I my heart goes out to them, honestly, like I, I feel really, really um, bad. And I don't think we do enough over here for people with those uh, um, issues. But it's there's certain areas I can't walk through, whereas my partner would have no problem walking through them, you know, because he's a six foot three man who's no one is probably going to come over to or say anything to or you know I don't think he's ever gone out to a club and like had somebody put like their hand up his skirt well he doesn't wear skirts but put their grab him or anything like that and so I just you know it's just not it's not a it's definitely not like an even playing field like in any regard whatsoever I don't think and and with you know I don't want to I don't want to lump loads of things in together because I don't think that's conducive but to anything but you know for example we were talking about the Eighth Amendment being mm. repealed that was you know very much it was a, it was a societal issue but it was very much a woman's issue like the, the Me Too movement was you know uh, a movement coming from you know women being like this is bollocks and this isn't good enough there was the waking the feminist movement here closer to home yeah. there's been a lot of um, I think really positive change on the ground day to day do you feel that? Uh not really, because if you look at the majority of those um, different movements, uh, most of the time people are not actually held accountable mm. for their actions. I mean, you've seen um, Harvey Weinstein only had to present himself into court, I think it was last week. And like there's like tens of women who've come out and said that he's done all sorts of things. Um, and even though it's referred to in the paper, like, no, you know, I don't know, it's just... I don't think there's that many ramifications for people who do. I think the movements are fantastic and like long may they last. And, you know, I hope every single person who's ever abused or hurt or, or anything um, to, to, to anybody or to, to, I know it is mainly kind of women, um, is held accountable. But I, it doesn't really feel like they are, mm. you know. Do you think they are? I don't know. I, I mean, um, from a male perspective, I am a lot more conscious of my own behaviour. I think I always, well, I'd like to think I was always relatively conscious and I certainly never would have meant to, um, you know, I guess, mistreat someone, I yeah. suppose, fundamentally. But I'm hyper-conscious of it now. You know, yeah. in a, and it is that weird thing of like, you know, sometimes it feels shit because you're like, gosh, I'm always in my head about stuff I never used to think about. And, and then, you know, you kind of have to catch yourself and be like, well, look, if that's, all it is for you to do for someone else to like not have a fucking horrific thing happen to them that that's probably okay yeah you absolutely I mean. and I think look I think there is definitely like this at the moment big straight you know straight man or this straight man or that and like don't get me wrong I know it's not all straight men anytime anyone says oh not all straight men but it's like instead of using that space to be like oh it's not all straight men like why don't you take that like, you know, couple of minutes it took you to compose that tweet or to give out about somebody who said something and like just have a conversation with your friends and who are men and, you know, just casual conversations about like Time's Up or Me Too and just be like, for God's sake, like lads, this is fucking like not on, like, you know, and just kind of have these conversations and not take stuff so personally if you don't feel like you're not you personally, but if you if somebody doesn't feel like they're part of that or they're a bad person, like there's there's other ways that you can be proactive other than just giving out about people who are talking about these kind of things, you know. Yeah, there totally is. I mean, I think that that was one of the we, we the, the episode that came out before the referendum and it was me and another guy actually in that episode. And we were kind of talking about, you know, just very similar to this. And we, but we were, I suppose you're talking about it like you know, from a, a male perspective or whatever, and we were saying, like, you know, they were coming up to the referendum, one of the, the fears was of, like, that 18 to 24, 25-year-old demographic of young men. There was that fear that it could be, like, a bit of a fuck you vote. Like, because there are, you know, and I, I suppose you have to question how true this was now in when you look at the statistics, because I think that demographic was still, like, you know, significantly in the yes I think portion. it was, like, 88% of people in that now I don't know if it was broken down male to female but like 88% of that demographic voted yes totally yeah. so like it is but I guess I think sometimes when guys hear that yeah because you're like that that all men and then when, when some you see it on Twitter and then someone goes it's not all men and then mm. someone goes like well, you shouldn't fuck you for saying that and you know and then it stops being useful for anyone but like I think 
it, when, when when guys hear that it's just to like take it and like okay it might hurt you for a minute and then be just like but it's not personally about you this is like this is like women reacting from a feeling of being mistreated I think for a really long time and, and like that's valid actually that's okay absolutely yeah definitely it's funny yeah it's funny it's funny times and I mean social media is just like but how much of a difference right do you think it would have been I know we were talking about posters and stuff and obviously mm. they're a huge part but like referendums are just won and lost on social media now to a large extent yeah I think it definitely opens people up to being able to expose untruths and fake news and you know there's certain people who I, w- I won't even give a platform to by naming them who choose to use their columns and their um, you know uh, stature within society to talk you know just crap and just complete things that are just not true um, and I think social media has definitely allowed um, you know those untruths to be broken down and challenged mm. um, and, I, and I think as well the internet has allowed for just a wider conversation um, kind of just across the, the whole country and you can hear stuff people in Spain or in America or in the UK like everyone is just part of this conversation and you know it's a nice kind of support network I think especially during referendums yeah yeah it's a really nice way to frame it as like you know the conversation because I think that's what it is I think everyone social media you know and I'm speaking about people who are on social media but at, at this point that's probably the vast majority of like all, across all ages really you know what I mean and like I think it really just um what's the word it I think it just like opens the doors and it kind of like nearly implicates you a little bit more because you are a part of social media social media is one of the biggest engines to drive change now you are a part of one of the biggest engines absolutely and like I remember even one morning I just woke up and it was like months ago and I was just so angry I was reading about the divorce referendum and I just I honestly just couldn't get my head around the whole thing like in general and of course everything always boils down to this idea of this perfect family with a mom and a dad and a couple of kids and that's another reason why I'm just not into the Catholic Church whatsoever because anything that challenges that ideal they're just not into it so whether it is that you're gay or you know that you're a single mother or that you want to get a divorce or you're you know pregnant out of wedlock or whatever it is they just don't want to know. Like, they just want to pretend that that's not happening and they just want to stick to this ideal kind of family situation. And I think that the morning I woke up and I went on and I started, like, Googling um, the posters and the kind of propaganda and, you know, the different flyers and marches and stuff during the, the divorce referendum. And, like, just the scaremongering, you know, like, like every family is going to break up and... You know, do you do, would you make your daughter get a divorce and all this like just crazy stuff, like as if every single person was going to get a divorce if it was passed. And I think being able to share those in hindsight, like 20 odd years later, people were just like, what the hell? Yeah. And for people outside of this country, you know, because they got like loads of retweets and shares and stuff for people outside of this country to see that and just to be like, what in the name of God? It's just crazy, like it really is. Like it's hard to believe it was so recently. I know the statistic I really want to know is like of that like forty nine point five percent who would have voted no, how many of them went on to get divorces? I know somebody actually told me their mom voted no in the divorce and then like literally had to get a divorce like two or three years later. Totally. Yeah. So now it is. It's I suppose it doesn't affect you until it affects you really. Yeah, one hundred percent. Right. Will we give another spin? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Next out the gate, we have number nine. Do you have it? Don't have it. All right, no worries. Number nine. The question is, in your industry, is there a person that you'd love to work with that you haven't got the chance to just yet? Um, I'll tell you who I think is really fab. Do you know Joe Caslin? I know the name. So he's uh, like an artist, illustrator, kind of guy, um, deals with like a lot of kind of social issues um do you remember just before the gay marriage referendum in 2015 just kind of across from the george uh there's that big wall at ricksburgers and there was that big gorgeous piece um of the two guys in this kind of embrace yes that was uh himself and he's currently got this um fantastic uh exhibition i've seen a lot of it online and i just haven't gotten down to see it yet just with all the referendum stuff was you know there was a lot going on the last couple of weeks but um it's basically just looking at uh, power and the different power that different people within society have. So, um, like my friend Stephen Maloney is in it. He uh, has this great uh, website called mask.com, M-A-S-K. 
Um, and it is uh, just looking at like different members of the men, like different members of the, the gay community over here. And it's just all about how like different people are using their platforms to, um, I suppose, to change. And, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, just kind of push you know different kind of issues really um i just think he's really talented and we were having a conversation uh last night about direct provision mm. do you know what direct provision is yeah and um he because he, my dad is a, a barrister um and he won a quite a landmark case yesterday about direct provision and it was i shared it online and uh we were having a conversation back and forth and i just think i'd love to do you know the marketing for something that he might do going f- you know i don't know just social issues he's just really cool <laughs> it's just really cool and kind of in tune with um a lot of things that are going on here that are just not really right like that he shared a story yesterday about this uh guy um i think he's about 15 or 16 who's getting deported um who's lived here since he was like three or four and you know it's just crazy like uh they're talking about deporting him back to i think it was nigeria he's from and like it's just nuts. I mean, and it's the kind of thing that the Minister for Justice or the um, Taoiseach could just click their fingers and, you know, end that having to happen. And they they just don't seem to be doing it. So there's actually a petition um, online. Hopefully it's still going by the time this comes out um, to to try and stop that deportation. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating how even I, I don't mean to keep going back to it. It's just like the most on my mind thing but even with Mazer's piece outside Project Art Centre yeah. you know and how central that became yeah. because that was like one of the first things because I remember like like two or three years ago when that first yeah. came out and they had to paint over it uh, and then yeah. you know came out again and then have you ever heard of the Streisand effect Y- yes, but I have no idea what it so is. So I, I'm not a hundred percent familiar with the the ins and outs of it. But basically, Barbara Streisand, I think her a property she owned was photographed for some kind of flyer for where she was living, and she was like so outraged about it, and she didn't want anyone to know that she lived there. That she took this particular company who had printed the picture. God, I feel like I could be completely making this up. Uh, no, I think I'm right. And um, it became known as the Streisand effect because the court case was so big and got so much publicity. Like the whole world knew that that was her house. Whereas if she hadn't kind of said anything and just let it slide, only a few people might have known. And I just thought the the Mazer piece was such a perfect example of that, of, you know, the outrage and the take it down. And it just became this massive movement because of that. Whereas if they'd just left it up, I'm sure it would have been, you know, as fab. But like... It just became this really iconic um, landmark for the referendum that everybody was just talking about it and it was going up and it was coming down and it was being painted over and there was jumpers and badges. And even today, just when I was quite outside here, somebody cycled past me with a still with a repeal to you, a guy. So, yeah, totally. I mean, just when you were talking about that and, and, and like, you know, the way that those Twitter storms can just like evolve from something that, yeah. that, that, that starts small and then it. Um, you're you're making me think about it with the the Streisand effect thing. Have you because you are so prominent on on social media? Have you ever been at the center of like something that you know was a bit of a Twitter storm, like something that felt overwhelming? I'm trying to think. Um, In the good way or the bad way, I suppose. Like not like not really. Like um, I try not to say things that are like too offensive like I'm sure people could look through my tweets like I definitely did change a lot in that kind of space of working in in the kind of fashion industry and then kind of leaving it to a degree and I think I've probably grown up a bit since then but like no there was definitely like abuse during the referendum of people on the other side kind of you know saying different things but I don't think I've ever been in like the midst of like a huge big like I'm not that big of a deal <laughs> no no but it's it, it's so funny how we, like you know how, how that's that's a real legitimate thing I, I can't imagine being at the centre of something like that no like, well the, uh, one thing that was good that happened was years ago I think it was 2014 around this time maybe April um, when I was doing the drawings of cel- uh, celebrities I woke up one morning and saw that Kim Kardashian had shared one of my illustrations like on her Twitter and Instagram and website and everything like that and like my following just shot up through the roof and was getting commissions from all over the world and stuff so like th- that was huge like for, for me at the time it was like the biggest thing that had ever happened to me whereas I look back at it now and I'm just like yeah that was cool but like it was over like this, you know. Yeah, it's amazing how 
you know her literally clicking a finger could like you know change how the next few weeks months of your life looks like i know and it's amazing how little yeah some people do with that power and i like i think she's trying her best at the moment to uh to do to do some good things i know she's working with uh she's in the white house chatting to trump about prison reform which is like so random but uh yeah no she's i suppose she's doing something yeah i mean the world is just so crazy that it's it's not even inconceivable that she could be president herself or first lady she look like stranger things have happened i mean that like it would be way less weird if kanye west was the president or kim kardashian for that matter than donald trump i think yeah probably it's it's still it's still so inconceivable that he is there um like sometimes you know you just like wake up in the morning you're just like flicking through twitter and you just see like POTUS and it's like and you're like oh my god that wasn't a dream like he's literally sitting in the White House like it's crazy yeah it's so mad and then you just see Ireland with lovely Michael D Higgins oh he's so cute and it's all kind of okay yeah yeah, yeah. he is he's lovely yeah have they met yet? Uh, I don't think so but I suppose the the equivalent of Trump here would be Varadkar, wouldn't it? Like our president isn't kind of as politically yeah, it's so true. involved. They're more, you know, show up to a Irish dancing competition and give a bat. No, not really, but like they're not like, you know, writing legislation and stuff. They might sign off on it, I think, but yeah, don't quote me on that. I don't actually know that yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I know. Right, let's give another spin. Okay. Okay, here we go. Number 18. Do you have it? No. No God, worries. My winning streak is over. Oh, hey, you, you've been spoiled so far. <laughs> Number 18. How did you find out the truth about Santa? What truth? <laughs> <laughs> um, the truth about Santa. Um, I can't remember. I, I was always very mature as a child. Like I, I'd, I'd say I always had a fair clue like that right. it was just a little bit impossible that it could be true um you know I don't know I, I think to be perfectly honest like I was telling you earlier my dad is a barrister and he, like he only went back to college a couple of years ago so you know I'm sure he's doing well now but he we didn't always when we grew up like wouldn't have had maybe the exact same kind of stuff as everyone else in school and you know when we were uh, younger and I I think it was just the kind of coming in after the Christmas holidays and being asking people what they got and they might have been like bolder than me in class, you know, more disruptive, mm. but got like 10 times more than me. And I remember just kind of be, like only being like seven or eight or, you know, six or just kind of being like, this doesn't sound right. Like, how did that person who's bolder than me get more than me? It just didn't make sense. And I think I just knew deep down that it just was completely impossible that there was some man that you know delivered presents to people one night of the year like yeah I just I think I knew no I didn't let on that I knew till I was about 15 (laughs) just keep it going keep it going and my mom and dad had like me and my older brother and then like five or six years later another kind of set of Irish twins so it kind of we got it got to keep going for a few more years we had to kind of pretend and we were still getting our Santa presents well into our teens right right right. (laughs) And and what so the uh, what so what's your relationship like to your brothers and, and si- sisters? Yeah, Grant. Like yeah. we'd be very close. Like yeah, we would. Yeah. And is, so there's like so it it you two your brother you and your brother. So I'm 29. And my older brother is 31, and we're both March. So there's like exactly two years between us. Uh, and he has three kids. Another one on the way, which is perfect for me. Takes the heat off. And um, then I have a younger sister, and who's like 25, and I think my brother's like 23 or four. So. And is that something, because it was funny, one of my friends got engaged today and, you know, you see it go up on social media and then <laughs> someone throws it into the group chat and they're like, oh, that puts a bit of pressure and his older brother now who's been going out with someone for years and all this stuff. But but like, is that a thing that you actually felt like, whew? Well, not really because like I've always been like, I don't want to have kids, I don't want to have kids. I just, I really personally, I think kids are great and I genuinely take my hat off to anyone who has them because... Like, I can barely walk to the bus stop after work. I'm so tired. And I just don't know how people go home and cook and, you know, do homework and stuff with kids. And I honestly take my hat off to them. But it's just not something, like, I've ever really had, like, a crazy kind of desire to do, personally. Like, don't get me wrong, that could change tomorrow. You never know. But, um, so, yeah, like, I've never actually really felt any pressure. But maybe if he didn't have kids, 
you know, maybe I would be the kind of one that people were looking at to, you know, pops them out. But uh, no, I I haven't never personally felt it. And it's funny. And I th- actually think it's because I'm not married. Um, and like me and my, my boyfriend are together like nine years. Again, I just don't really have any desire to get married. Um, I don't know why. I just never really did. But uh, I think people only start asking you, you know, in work or, f- or friends or family or stuff about kids once you get married. Mm. And it's only really ever the woman who gets asked. Right. Yeah. Like I've never in my life heard of somebody like you know in the canteen or whatever like asking the newlywed guy like oh you're gonna you can't when he when's the baby coming you mm. know it's just the women that get asked the newlywed women when, when are you having a baby totally i'm really interested in that i love asking my male friends because it's kind of fun to ask it a guy because you're just they're like what well i'll tell you right a story and i really hope anyone listening to this takes it on board because it was one of the most mortified i've ever been in my entire life right but i really hope people take like a lesson from this but i remember was i was actually working on the set of an ad a tv ad i used to, was doing wardrobe and I'm sure you know, you tell me you're an actor, mm-hmm. like the real close proximity, like you're best friends with people. It's like a family, like after a week, you know, traveling around Ireland, we were filming a kind of a tourism ad. And there was a kind of a production crowd over from the UK. And one of the guys was showing me pictures of his baby. And I think he was about like 40, this guy. And I was there, are you going to have another one? And, you know, he was, oh, I don't know. And there's me like going on and on. I She can't only have one kid. Like I would not have another one. Like what about when you go on holidays? Like, you, And he just looked at me and he was like, it took us like eight years and like 12 rounds of IVF or something like this, you know, to have this child. He was like, we're not having another one. And it just really struck me that like anybody else's, you know, fertility or whether or not they want to have kids, it's literally nobody else's business. Mm. And you probably shouldn't be asking anyone when they're going to have kids or mm. like, you know, because you just don't know like what kind of issues people are having really in their private lives. Yeah, Totally. I mean, yeah, it's really, it, 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 it's one of them, it's one of them things, and as you said, it's one of the things that I think, like, can, you know, can change people that lives. some people just know what they want. Do you, do you, is it, is it something that, you know, you've been with someone for nine years, is it something that, like, you would have a pretty, like, upfront conversation at after a certain point, or, like, has it just never come up? No, like, we definitely would talk about it, like, between ourselves, and, like, look, if it happened at the end of the day, like, you'd have to just go ahead, and I'm sure you'd... Love it or whatever, but you'd have to put it. Um, it's yeah, no, it's just not on. It's just not on our our agenda, really. Like I just love my freedom. Like I love that I could just leave work and come up here and do this. And if you had not given me notice and just rang me at the drop of a hat, I would have been able to just come up here and do this. You right. know, and that's just not something that everybody can do when they when they have the responsibility of of having kids and uh, like I have uh, friends in, in the UK and stuff and I love just being able to you know oh, there's a cheap flight I'm just going to pop over for the weekend and I just don't feel like I would necessarily really be still able to do that totally it's one of them things because like I, I don't know you know I was telling you about my quarter life crisis <laughs> of 25 but like you know if I start to think about it and it's one of them things because I completely agree with everything you're saying and then you have that other or I have that other part of my brain that goes then like why does like why are other people doing it? And you know the people, you know I'm sure some people actually hate being parents. It's not really something you could say if you hate it, but like people have got to hate it like as well. But it's like that thing of like, you know, that that like yeah, it's just that dichotomy of like the 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 fucking incredible sacrifice that it is. Yeah, it but is. But then like, you know, then you hear people say, well, like you just will never like have a feeling like it, and it's, yeah, it's just that weird thing of trying to add that up because you Absolutely. can't know until you know. Well, I remember years ago, and I can't remember what the exact conversation was, but uh, I remember saying to my dad, like, oh, my God, like, my life would be over if I had kids, you know. And he was like, Holly, my life didn't begin till I had kids. Wow. I thought that was really sweet. Yeah. Can't relate, though. <laughs> Imagine he was just like, yeah, I can relate. Like, he's like, <laughs> yeah, my life ended the day your brother was born. <laughs> Like a little bit worse than you were I born. Know, a I know. A little bit worse than a little bit worse. No, but I'm sure it's one of those things. If you if you if you have them and you're able to kind of you know go ahead and have them, then I'm sure it's the best thing ever. But totally. my freedom to me is the best thing ever at the yeah, moment. Yeah, big time, big time. <laughs> right, let's give another spin. Okay, here we go. Number fifty nine. Do you have it? No. No worries. Number fifty nine. What is your relationship to your phone? Oh my god, intense. Really? Yeah, I actually smashed it on Monday. And I, the roar I let out it was just like, it's where I just broke my arm or something. So it's in smithereens now. There's glass in my thumb and I just can't put it down. I'm fully addicted to my phone. Like really? there's no, I wouldn't even lie about it now. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, what does that look like day to day? Like when you're in work, how much can you be on it? Like does your job permit you know, it? Oh, no, I wouldn't necessarily be on it all the time in work now. Like, you know, if you go for a bathroom break or you go to, to the canteen for lunch or whatever, you bring it with you. But I am working like, but when I go home, it's just like even if the TV is on and we're watching the movie, I'm just like checking it every few minutes. Like you're just so, well, I'm just so afraid I'm going to miss something or totally. something's going to happen and... Like, what if I'm not the first person to tweet about this? And yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm awful. And I really need to, um, to. And everyone's always slagging me because I only have a five, like an iPhone five. But I love it because it's so small. Like I have small hands and I just find the other ones like way too big. But now with my insurance, like they're going to end up giving me some big fucking tablet iPhone. And I'm just a bit freaked. I just want another five. Yeah, 100%. I, 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 I totally relate. But... I know earlier you know we were talking about um, was it Kate Spade the poor woman and we, you know you said like you don't suffer with depression or something like that yeah. do you think your phone can have an adverse effect on whatever you know the state of your mental health is are there ever days where you're like fuck me I just need to check out from this no not no. really yeah. no no because like I guess the majority of stuff you're doing is that you're chatting to your friends or family or seeing something funny and sharing it or chatting to your friends on online or people who live in a, in a different country in a different time zone you might chat to like an auntie on Facebook or something um, and a lot of the time I'm just reading like I'll just be reading different stuff online and, and it, it wouldn't necessarily I, don't, I wouldn't say it would affect um, my mental health now at all being on it no I don't think so no yeah it's fascinating like I, I think about that like sometimes because you know the way now I feel like it's almost more unusual to meet someone who doesn't like I don't know present with like symptoms of like anxiety and things mm. like that than it is I'll, I'll have anxiety about this podcast okay I definitely will fascinating and it always happens to me like anytime I do stuff like this and like back when I was doing all that kind of you know celebrity and fashion stuff like there was a good few times I was on TV and radio and live TV and stuff and oh my god like literally the second you walk out the door you're like why did I say that like and what what is the fear like for this say? If like maybe offending somebody or um upsetting somebody or just sounding like a big just just sounding like an absolute gobshite really just just a fear I suppose because when you are on social media you're not um you're not like speaking to people face to face and you're probably a little bit more able to like curate how you come across mm-hmm. or you know you the amount of like tweets in my drafts that I'll like go to send and then like not send them. Um, thank God. And uh, Oh, you should totally take out your phone and read out your drafts. Oh God. Will I? Yeah, see what's in there. Oh God, this could be terrible. This, okay. This could be awful. Jesus. This could go either way. Well, my I, thumb is bleeding already now with the smash. Look how bad it is. Oh wow. I know. Oh, no. Smashed. Okay, let's see. I'm so excited. This is this I'm terrified now. They're going to be really bad. They're going to be like about chicken fillet rolls or something. (laughs) I love it already. Okay, hang on. Okay. (laughs) My last one was to um, this guy, this random guy on Twitter who hadn't even interacted with me. Yeah. Who replied to somebody I knew um, and referred to uh, like being gay as a syndrome and was like, basically said... um, you know, oh, why don't you, instead of, uh, you know, instead of slagging me about my un- uh, lack of education about this subject, you know, why don't you just teach me more about the gay syndrome? And I was just like, sorry, syndrome? This is what I said. No, actually, I can't even read this out. Oh, please. Um, I said, how about instead of pontificating about, oh, here, I actually have his tweet as well. Oh, excellent. Okay, sorry, this is taking so long. No, no, it's great. He was like, no need for insults, you see, instead of educating others so they can understand, you rather throw insults and defamatory comments and you wonder why homophobia still exists. (laughs) I'm just trying to learn more about the gay syndrome. And I replied saying, syndrome? Uh, How about instead of pontificating about homophobia while slurring the community in the same sentence and also expecting people on Twitter to educate you, you actually go onto one of the many LGBTQI websites out there and learn something for yourself. But I didn't hit send because he hadn't actually engaged with me in any way and I was just in my head like I'm just starting an argument with some random person on Twitter and it's just I don't need to put myself in there. I might press send though, you never know. (laughs) 
I know after it's this, sitting there. someone else is going to tweet it now. They're going to note it down. But I mean, but you know, that's actually such a good fucking like I don't want to say like lesson, but like if if more people didn't hit send on Twitter, imagine how much better of a place it would be. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, cause how how much stuff is just fired off like. Like, especially, like, of the, the angry, angry stuff that gets sent, you know, on people. Very reactionary, I think. And yeah. if you're of that kind of persuasion, like, a reactionary kind of person, like, you will just, especially if it's something, like, an emotive subject. Like, I'm I'm not gay myself, but somebody else could have read that and been fully entitled to be absolutely enraged or, you know, um, whatever. And about all sorts of different things that you see out there, but... I suppose I just think unless someone is like directly engaging with you, sometimes it's best not to just like jump into conversations and because then you are kind of up on your high horse and you're just just sometimes people just aren't even worth your time. So totally. And I think if if I can say anything to alleviate your anxiety about the possibility of of this coming out. Right. It's that I think that's the difference for me between like, say, something like Twitter or Facebook or versus a podcast. It's that. On Twitter, as you said, like it can be a little bit more premeditated and you can yeah. kind of like culture it a little bit more. So then when you put it out there, people kind of like will take it for face value. Yeah. Whereas here, right, if we were to notate out what we said, you're right, like some of it might actually like people be like, hang on a minute or whatever. But I think when people can hear it in your voice and they can hear us yeah. like choosing our words and, and struggling and, and, you know, trying to work shit out on the spot. I always say this, but like I really do think that's why people are attracted to podcasts now because this is so much more in depth what we're doing here than like you could ever do in you know 280 characters or that's whatever it is very true that's actually a good point I might actually sleep tonight good. thank hey, you that, that, that's <laughs> what you're going to do here right let's give another spin okay uh, okay here we go number 44 <gasps> no oh. I thought you were going to say 40 no. it, 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 it looks like, like a dry dry spell but we've got a little bit more time oh here's a good one for you speaking of uh, Kanye and Kim and Mr. Trump, could you ever see yourself running for president? Of America? Of here. Of here. Uh, I mean, you could you could go for it. <laughs> you could try to <laughs> get citizenship. <laughs> um, God, uh, would I ever see myself? I mean, I, I don't, like, no, right. in, in, a, in a way, in a, to put it in a kind of a... A short answer, no, definitely not. And I think if you are somebody who gets anxiety about like public speaking or t- doing TV appearances and stuff like that, presidency probably would not be the best space for you to be in. Um, and as well, I, mm, I don't know, I think if I would like to get into ending in that realm, I probably would like to be a bit more political, um, you know. So, no, definitely not. It's fascinating, like, it'll be fascinating to see how politics develops, you know, like with our generation and the generations like that'll come after us like yeah again just through the internet you know yeah, what I mean it's it's actually a really exciting time I think for and like it's so funny when I'm like oh young people but like I'm 30 next year so like I'm not even I'm referring to people who were like 10 years younger than me and younger and there's just such this and maybe it always existed and I just didn't see it because social media didn't didn't exist but I know when I was that age I literally couldn't care less like about anything and like now you've got like all these you've different like groups engaged in all sorts of different things you know um, all sorts of movements and trying to get social change for all sorts of different demographics of people and different communities and everything and like it's fascinating to to just watch it like just stuff just change it's brilliant and it is it does kind of come down to social media I think at the, at the end of the day and how you know engaged these uh, these guys kind of are with change like we just need to see a lot of change you know yeah 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 big time big time big time right let's give it a spin let's try I, I kind of want to get yeah that third one now okay here we go number 51 no oh. <laughs> the devastation on your face number 51 if you could choose one person to interview who would it be if I could choose one person to interview yeah oh uh, oh my god have you ever done any interview work yeah, I have. Like I inter- like I would have interviewed loads of people when I was um when I was over in France and mm. I did like some different features and stuff. God, I actually can't think who I would interview. I'm I mean, desperate. I like I'm really bad. Like I don't really I never really I'm mad like obsessed with different people or anything like that you know that kind of way mm-hmm. like I just can't think of anyone. And w- when you were in France is there like 
one interview that sticks out in particular or a moment from one of them that you're like yeah fuck that like sentence like that kind of really hit you or whatever the case might be God, you know what? I I think I honestly just tried to block a lot of it out when I came back because it was just so so sad and it was really difficult. Like, because tr- I'm a very sensitive person. Like, I'm really emotional. Um, like I always was. If I just see somebody who I think is hurting, like externally or internally, you know, I'll just be like, oh my god. Um, so. I, th- I probably tried to just block a lot of it out, I think. Yeah, I'm sorry I can't answer that one. I actually just can't think of anyone I would like to interview. No, that's just fine. Uh, what about, in terms of like that sensitivity that you uh, relate to, how is it like going through the world with that? You know, do, like, do, do you find it hard? Do you think it's an important part of you? Do you ever wish you didn't have it because things might be easier if you weren't as sensitive? Yeah, they probably would. Like, cause you can t- you can take tiny little nuances to heart. Really, like, could be as simple as like just, you know, someone just saying something like off the cuff, and you can just I suppose just really take it to heart and be like, oh my god, like that's you're attacking me. But at the end of the day, it's, you always just need to get a bit of perspective. And like within a day or two, like you'll kind of just be or an hour or two, like okay, grow up, yeah. you know that kind of way. But no, it, like I would be quite sensitive with with different things so like there was like you'd be choking like trying not to cry like doing these interviews like it was just but you know what I would say if you were sensitive or not I would say you probably would have been the same yeah 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 I can't imagine right okay let's give it one last go okay number 37 (gasps) I have it oh sweet well done yes that's three that's pretty good going very good it's not bad at all all right number 37 Seven. The question is, oh, it's kind of come up, but I feel like it's kind of appropriate. You're 29. How do you feel about being 29? Like I'm, I'm okay with it because I am still here. You know that kind of way, and yeah. like I do have, you know, a grand life kind of thing, and you know, as you said earlier, like not everyone gets to 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 kind of grow up or per mm. se so I try not to uh to I try not to be like oh I'm nearly 30 but like it's such a weird age because like I'm getting gray hairs but I also I still am getting spots and I'm just like <laughs> what is my body trying to say to me <laughs> no. yeah it's really weird it's just I don't know maybe every, that's everyone but uh yeah it's it's a strange one but yeah no it's it is a bit um scary because you're like like I'm on my third 10 year passport yeah like I have three 10 year passports now behind me right or like I'm on my third one and like you're just go- and you're like comparing the pictures and I'm like oh my god I was like such a little emo baby like back then when I was whatever age so but you yeah, know it's it's fine were you an emo growing up oh my god 100% like, like queen of the scene gas yeah what yeah. sort of music was that I like My Chemical Romance, yeah. Used, like Hawthorne Heights, trying to think now. Oh. Totally Central Bank. The Distillers, oh my God, lived there. Really? Like, oh my God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, meet my friends outside Ashem, Stephen's Green at like midday on a Saturday and like you'd have a fiver in your pocket and you'd be like, what can I get with a fiver? And what did you, like, what did you do at Central Bank? Were you drinking? Uh, I'd no, I wouldn't have been all, like drinking till I was about maybe like six, 50. I'm like, God, is my mom going to be listening? Yeah, yeah, 30, no. 12. Um. <laughs> Literally, no. Um, no, like wouldn't have been really drinking, just like hanging, just hanging out, like just chatting and just swapping badges or whatever. I don't know what we were doing. I really don't. Um, just hanging around with boys and they were in bands and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Just pretending we were real cool and stuff like that and yeah it was god so long ago it's 15 years ago yeah kind of crazy it is crazy yeah holly Shorel, thanks so much for playing personality bingo oh is it over it's all done oh my god we did our 60 minutes you did pretty good though you got three will you do me a favor yeah will you um tell the people where they can find you on instagram twitter any social media or any bits and bobs you might want to plug so my twitter is just my name holly shortall um well done in getting that first which my name yeah I know like that's I know. a common enough name it's my email address as well wow literally my name at gmail.com 
That's great. You're going to get yes. loads of emails now. I know. Actually, somebody used my email to sign up for a load of jobs the other week. Yes. <laughs> I hope I got one of them. I'm only joking. <laughs> um, and my Instagram is Holly underscore Shortall. Oh. Didn't get that one. Who's that bitch? There's one other Holly Shortall in the world. We and need, she lives in Ireland. We need to kill her. <laughs> no, stop. No. No, she's gorgeous. She's actually stunning. Um... But yes, she got the Holly Shortall on Instagram first. And that's kind of it. I, I don't use Snapchat anymore. And Facebook, don't add me there. That's, yeah. That's for aunties and uncles, isn't it? Totally. <laughs> totally. Well, um, hey, this has been uh, Debbie Holly Shortall. Thanks for coming. Cool. Thank you so much. So guys, it was the deadly Holly Shorthall playing personality bingo with Tom Moran. Holly, if you're listening, a massive thank you to you for taking the time to do it. It was a pleasure sitting down and talking to you on possibly the warmest day of all time. Uh, we were just sweating away in here but having uh, lovely chats uh, along the way. So thank you for coming in and doing it. Uh, guys, as always, a huge thank you to Erin Lindsay for mixing, editing and producing this podcast. She is the boss woman and she also uh, went the extra mile this week and um, sourced the guest, which uh, was deadly because um, Holly was someone who I didn't come across uh, and now we're buds and um, you know she was a really really interesting and lovely person and uh, I'm so glad that we got to bring this episode to you so a massive massiver thank you to you uh, this week Aaron. also as always a huge thank you to the guys at Headstuff uh, for having us aboard that's Paddy O'Leary and Alan Bennett and all uh, the wonderful team uh, with Sean and Co and everybody uh, on board at Headstuff it's such a lovely family to be a uh, part of uh, and also a huge thank you to Connor Nolan for the brilliant artwork to Leah Moore and Anthony Manley for the fantastic theme music and most importantly to you guys for taking the time to listen uh, I really do appreciate it as always if you can drop us a line and so you're listening uh, first of all it's just lovely uh, it makes me happy uh, but second of all it really does help just get the, the numbers out there if you can um, share it with a friend whether that's um, face to face or online uh, whether it be Twitter or uh, Facebook or Instagram whatever that might be uh, even just a little screenshot of the, the podcast and stick that in your story all that stuff kind of just uh, sparks people's brains about it and it's massively appreciated as i said i will be uh, at the olympia theater uh, all summer long so come and check me out in a copperface jackson musical uh, along with a, a brilliant cast um, starring rosanna Purcell, former guest of the show uh, michelle mcgrath future guest of the show uh, and the brilliant johnny ward um, from love hate and fair city and dollhouse and loads of great projects and you never know maybe johnny will come on and have a chat too uh, it's going to be great it's uh, being directed by the uh, effervescent that's very good, isn't it? Carol Harper uh, and um, written by the, the wonderful Paul Howard uh, and produced by Donald Shields at Verdant Productions. Um, it's a real powerhouse um, team and, you know, that's it with a, a whole big ensemble behind it. So that's just going to be a great time for the summer. So come and see Copperface Jack's The Musical. But if not, no worries. Come back to us next week for another episode of Personality Bingo with Tom Moore.